Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. <laughs> this is Michael Mann, and I ride with extended clip. Pay any of your crew. On That's this true. I've, I've abided by that. I've. <laughs> And make sure lunch is at least two hours late. <laughs> nah, bro. You can... And at most five dollars value. <laughs> I was gonna. Say, I have. I have. I have short shifted on a lunch before. Like I've given some PB and J's and chips before. But Malcolm, big wig uh, Hollywood producer, Malcolm over here cutting some corners. Cutting that was the only corners. thing I think I paid for. Was <laughs> like the entire budget was peanut butter sandwiches. Yeah, and like some Fritos or something. Like, make sure to get a chip that people don't like too much. <laughs> Bet so you not... can just have one. <laughs> yeah. No one's Fritos, no dip. No one's really going crazy over that. Everyone's like, I'll take a few. But that's that's how you cut cut you. That's how you cut corners. Cutting corners. You yeah, have a few bags chips. of chips left over for yourself. <laughs> True. Yeah, exactly. You get, you just like miserably eat Fritos while you're editing. <laughs> Put that in some chili. You guys, did you guys at school serve Frito pie? You guys ever have some Frito no, pie? Oh man, what is that? <laughs> I know on King of the Hill, uh, Peggy Hill talks about making Frito pie. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's very culturally popular in Central California where I'm from, but the cafeteria was serving some Frito. It's just like chili and Fritos, basically. It's not bad. Makes sense. <laughs> Welcome to Extended Clip, the number one podcast for no-budget filmmaking <laughs> advice. It's episode 112. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. And our double feature this week, two movies by one of the great movie stars of the American cinema. Uh, we have The Passenger from 1975 by Michelangelo Antonioni. And Something's Gotta Give. The 2003 film by Nancy Myers. Now, what do these films have in common? Of course, they star the one and only Jack Nicholson. Um, since he's the topic, let's just get right into it. What do, how do you guys generally feel about old Jack? He's a pretty fucking cool guy. I mean, I don't really see how you could uh, be like a Jack Nicholson hater. I don't know. Like, uh, I like, you know, his like uh, 70s cool guy serious movies, but also kind of like his... His, you know, goofier later work, too. Like, I I guess, you know, De Niro is an obvious, like, kind of had similar career paths in that, like, you know, in their later career, they're doing, like, meet the parents type stuff. But I don't really mind that. I like I like their work in those movies. I think mm -hmm. they're... I like when in their later career when they got goofy. Yeah. That's my opinion. That's the opinion I'm coming out with. Yeah, I love Jack. I think he's... He got so much pussy Absolutely. in the 70s. He was able to coast by as like for a lot of later roles, just like old kind of ugly fat guy who still just gets a lot of pussy. Like just like <laughs> it. Uh, I don't know. The legend lives on and just he is a real party guy kind of vibe. I love his energy and presence. Yeah, people people like it when, you, you know, you got that status. You're a nice guy. You know, you, you're an accomplished guy, Jack. I think Nicholson will be set up to the grave. <laughs> hey, hard to argue with that hard to argue with but that. eddie eddie i gotta ask you something what yes. does jack nicholson mean to you oh he's one of my favorite movie stars um 
yeah, I don't know. I, I pretty much agree with what you guys said. There's no real deep analysis here for me. I think that the new Hollywood era, he was a great presence who was kind of emblematic of that era. He was kind of a wild child, but he was also kind of introspective, if you know what I mean. Uh, films like uh, Five Easy Pieces and Easy Rider, obviously, are a great example of that, leading into the the big, grandiose new Hollywood movies that he starred in, like Chinatown, of course. Uh, but yeah, I love the later work too. I think that he just has such an imposing presence in something like uh, kind of the cousin film of our B-movie, uh, As Good As It Gets, the James L. Brooks movie. There's just something so uh, lazily magnetic about him, maybe even effortlessly magnetic, where he can truly get by on being the version of himself that is a movie star in the most classical movie star way. You know, you build a movie around his presence and his abilities and limitations as a performer, especially in the later era, as Nancy Myers does so wonderfully in our B movie. I feel like with something's got to give, you know, he's a little bit smarmy. And I think maybe that's like maybe a trait he might be, you know, most well known for like kind of five easy pieces, although it's a very different type performance. You still kind of have an element of that. But I guess what was interesting about The Passenger, probably the most subdued performance I've I've seen him give. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, The Passenger is as definitive of like the... I don't know, uh, European art house style melding with the new Hollywood, uh, I guess, iconography, as you can get, other than those new Hollywood films that so clearly aped the you know European art house style. But this one, man, I don't know. Antonioni had made a couple films in English at this point, but this one really feels like he's stripping away all of the barriers uh, of language even and is so reliant just purely on images and movement and sound and Nicholson's you know charisma really even though as laid back and downbeat as he is in this movie he still has just such a magnetic force that can bring this movie any way Antonioni wants it to I think that's a good point yeah because uh it's not like he's doing crazy things in this movie but it is like a lot of his presence is used in a way to kind of like anchor the movie that, you know, does have a plot, but doesn't really seem to be too interested in it or that's not its main intention. And like, you know, let's Antonioni get to make a really, you know, visual film first and foremost. And it's so much so that, you know, I was watching it and I was enjoying it, but I was, you know, a little disconnected in the first half. I scooted up a little closer. I got a little closer to the screen. I got, and once I sat closer to the screen, I don't know, maybe it could be, you know, maybe I'm giving that factor a little too much credit, but once I scooted up to the screen, I was fully engrossed. It really, really captured me. So that's great to hear. I've had a lot of movie screenings in, you know, in the theater where I have just like ran up 10 rows in the multiplex in the middle of the movie. Cause I just wasn't in it enough. And sometimes you just want the image to be larger. Absolutely. And I think with a movie like this, like it especially like, you know, something that is like slow plus heavily visual, mm -hmm. get closer, scoot up to the screen, <laughs> block out all the noise. Uh, JT, do you have much experience with Michelangelo Antonioni? Um, no, actually, this is the fourth Antonioni I've seen, I believe. I mean, you've been around the block now. Yeah, that's a yeah, fair I amount. Mean, but still, I, a lot of it was when I was 
uh, probably in like middle school or Jesus. like high school, I think. And it's just like, I don't know. The alienation doesn't quite hit as hard then. In middle school. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I don't even want pussy now. I don't even care. I don't even give a shit about this. That reminds me, not to, I don't, I don't mean to, you know, have at you, JT, but uh, it reminds me when my... My little brother in second grade, like he would check out To Kill a Mockingbird from the library and like everyone would be like, just, like my mom would be like, do you even understand like what you're reading? Like, are you even reading that? And like he would just pretend to read it. It was pretty sick. <laughs> <laughs> even though you you were watching those movies, so you were actually putting in that that work. So you're just staring at the screen <laughs> like, what is going on? <laughs> Where's the color? <laughs> oh, yeah. So did you watch the black and white or color ones when you were younger? Um, I think like one, one of the black and white ones, it's honestly, my memory of it isn't like particularly mm-hmm. strong either. I mean, that was the case with a lot of like movies from that era that were important to me. And sometimes I'm surprised that it like holds up like mm-hmm. after so much difference because like, fuck, I was like 14 and I like this shit. Good for me. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, no, yeah. GT but, was an avant teen. <laughs> hey, my my letter box goes back to when I was fifteen. You know, do the not to not to flex. You know, it's not a flex. Th- We're here for the movies. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We were so cool watching sick movies as teenagers. Yeah, man. <laughs> this is so stupid. Uh, anyway. <laughs> the Passenger by Michelangelo Antonioni. Um, it's kind of like, as, as you said, Malcolm, the plot's there. Uh, the, the plot being kind of an inversion of a wrong man thriller. Uh, rather than being mistaken for someone else, Jack Nicholson assumes the identity of someone else in a great situation for him to fake his own death. Uh, He is a reporter, uh, you know, gallivanting around Africa, getting some film strips for a documentary he's working on. And uh, he finds this guy, uh, this this guy who's staying at a hotel, another British guy who's gallivanting all over Africa, I guess. And uh, he assumes his identity after he finds that guy dead. But little does he know, this guy is a... uh, He's an arms dealer, supplying arms to a, I guess, liberation front in Africa. Uh, the the very like liberation front fighting against the leader that Jack Nicholson is like there to interview. But as we said, that plot kind of exists just in the background, as with so many Antonioni movies. The characters, rather than proceeding through a plot, kind of proceed through the images themselves. And uh, time is, you know, duration of shot is, like, stretched out to the point, not like slow cinema, what we would see later, but it is slowed down to the point of, I don't know, it's just... um, It really forces the viewer to just exist with these images and sounds and reckon with them if they're not just frustrated at the lack of narrative. You know, it's deliberately slow. Like, it's obviously, you know, slowing its own pace down while being, you know, not really giving too much reason to what's going on. You know, you would say, like, it's like, why does this guy want to, you know, change his identity? And it's like... Well, you should already know. Don't you want to like change everything about your life and abandon it now? You know, it's, mm-hmm. you're supposed to like, you know, you br- you bring your own feelings to it, and it, I think that definitely helps with a movie like this. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I think also it's so obscure in its narrative. You know, you have that opening, whatever it is, 10 minutes of him just driving around the desert in his Land Rover, trying to get information from some people, uh, trading cigarettes for information when he can. And uh, yeah, sorry, I'm a little distracted because uh, our, our fourth mic scooter is kind of running wild in the studio today. The dog but show. I, I, th- I think the dog show... Uh, is finally uh, coming to a close as <laughs> she's settling in now. Well, yeah, those that first thirty minutes in particular, or whatever, because it's like it takes an hour for like the girl that he like starts traveling with to like start accompanying him, and like the titular passenger, the passenger, and then like yeah, the first or the sequences where he's just kind of walking around Africa. It's it's one of the most truly like alone like feelings I've gotten through a movie where someone just seems so. They seem so out of context. They seem mm-hmm. like, you know, so out of place, not really wandering to a specific destination. You really do get like that, that lonesome singular feeling in that first th- 30 minutes. Yeah. I think earlier at the beginning of the episode, you described like Nicholson as introspective Eddie. And I feel like it's like a lot of it is in his face. Like, I think that's why he can do like great, like broad mugging too. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but here just like seeing him just like look around and just sort of stare at things and like i don't know it's all kind of like different shades of like blank but you can just tell so well that this is just like a person who i I don't know is so absent in their own life and the slowness and even out of timeness feels almost surreal compared to some of the other antignoni that i've seen especially in the scene Uh, where he is assuming this other man's identity and he's pasting his picture onto that man's passport, the passport that would eventually be the clue uh, for the, uh, you know, Jack Nicholson's wife to follow him through this other identity. But we hear the conversation that Jack had with this man, uh, Robertson, and it's played over a tape deck Uh, that was, you know, quote-unquote, maybe accidentally running during their encounter. And while Jack is, you know, putting together his little passport, the camera pans to the left, I believe, and out the window, and then we see both of them, and all in one take, of course. We see Jack, uh, uh, I guess his name in this is Locke, and Robertson, uh, you know, having a drink out on the patio and back to him. And it, I don't know how to describe, like, how kind of surreal that felt and how much that almost feels instructional on how to view how Antonioni treats you know time on camera throughout the rest of this movie it also like kind of adds to that feeling where I was talking about before where it's like the motion of memory so to speak as like he's you know uh doctoring his passport or whatever and like at the same he's thinking about the conversation that was had or whatever and he just seems so like uh yeah, I don't know. It, like, th- like it's kind of it invokes like a sense of memory to me, even though it's just kind of more of an editing thing, I guess, where it's like mm-hmm. he's playing the conversation over it. But like the way he's just alone in there just makes me think he's thinking about that and just thinking about this whole process and kind of just blankly going ahead with that. And it gives a you know very particular kind of isolating feeling. And it seems like it could be this journey uh, that he's taking that gives him just this kind of psychic break. Like this character doesn't seem like he lived the rest of his life the way he did 
from the point of this movie starting onward. You even have the flashbacks of his interviews where he seems much more forthcoming, kind of. And he even says in that conversation with Robertson, uh, when Robertson is talking about all the great new empty spaces he's seeing, he says, I prefer men to landscapes, which, you know, pause. But like... I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I literally thought, is like, oh, is he gay in this movie? Like, not, you know, not even, but... Yeah. <laughs> you know. No, but, but I get like, what he's saying. I get what he's saying. It's like, that would be almost like the inverse of Antonioni, you know? And then he becomes an Antonioni-like character who is searching for meaning in the landscapes and just basking in and all of that and uh yeah that transformation you don't see it happen in the movie it just kind of happens within the character's head i think before the movie even really starts and i, I think that's a really interesting aspect of the i guess <laughs> the lack of character arc for the lack of a better word no yeah also the fact that like the girl the passenger or whatever he starts seeing is like in architecture student or whatever and mm -hmm. that you know she's like oh, i plan to go this so it kind of gives like antonioni almost like an excuse it's like okay not that he ever needed one before but it's like it's like a kind of a funny like he's known for architectural filmmaking and now there's this character it's like oh i'm an architecture student like i'm gonna go to this building this building and then antonioni yeah. can just get off to him you know you know moving his camera around these beautiful uh buildings or whatever shooting a, a pillar in between a conversation or something like that it's always it's i mean yeah i always love him in that mode yeah the girl is played by maria schneider and we say the girl because that's the credited name there uh and she's introduced like 30 minutes in or so in this great shot where jack nicholson is uh in disguise wearing this mustache that he wears for about 30 minutes of this movie where that makes him look like a very soviet nicholson kind of uh, but he he's walking by and he just kind of glances at her sitting on a bench in the park and just lounging and then antonioni cuts to another angle of her just gets this great push in on her this movie utilizes camera movement uh, more and more effectively than the others that I've seen. I guess the constant reframing, especially in that you know penultimate epic, however many minute long take, uh, is really remarkable here. Now, there's also this move that he does where it's kind of, I don't know how to describe it exactly, but will kind of swoop at the end of a, mm -hmm. or I guess swivel or something is, you get what I'm talking about? Here? Yeah. Like, and that's, that's always like it really. It feels like the camera is on a dolly and also panning at the same time, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Just for a very short period of time too. It's never like twirling around like uh, the kiss and body double or anything <laughs> like that. But it has these kind of strangely compound movements that come and go very quickly. That's a, that's a good way to put it actually. And like, um, Sometimes I'll just hear you say something. And I'll be like, damn, that's some good shit. But, uh, um, it's like a laugh track for the audience. Like That's where the audience will just say, okay. Okay. All right. This guy's got knowledge. No, but like in terms of like movement, yeah, there's a lot more movement of the camera than I feel like in, in other, I remember in other Antonioni movies. And also like something like uh, the car sequence too is like a great use of movement. And I guess he's not like... Uh, I don't know. There's just some really selective cuts there that just really uh, are nothing, you know, too crazy, but just super solid, like editing decisions that really enhance that scene. Mm -hmm. So I guess uh, the opposition in this, you know, uh, uh, anti-crime uh, story is, you know, the, the arms dealers, I guess, uh, that he was working against, uh, that Robertson was, you know, providing against. And the people who are looking for Robertson 
to get his statement on a documentary about Jack Nicholson, you know, rest in peace as a great journalist. (laughs) (laughs) And so as both close in and officials in each place that they go are alerted to, it kind of becomes this like slow motion chase scenes uh, or this series of slow motion chase scenes. And the driving is so fantastic here. Uh, Of course, there's that really amazing scene where Jack is driving uh, Maria Schneider and she asks, Can I ask you one question now? One you can, yes. Only one, always the same. What are you running away from? Turn your back to the front seat. Yeah, I feel like with those two forces of antagonism and just the general vibe of like, their chase like not being quite sure of like who's out to get them really works well with like I know you're mentioning like in that one particular scene the pan and it fades back into memory there but I think it does that the film does that at a lot of other points that I think are really interesting one in particular that comes to mind is the um the scene that winds up that like panning out and it's the uh they're watching the execution oh, yeah. um, happen there. The way it just sort of like, I don't know, has that looming quality of like memory uh, and the past sort of being the main forces of antagonism, but at the same time, it's like so faded and foggy. And I think the fact that like they're so like, I don't know, there's a level of uncertainty of what's going to get him in the end, but it's definitely his past. No, yeah, I, I like it like with the different antagonistic forces or whatever. Like, yeah, it does come, you know, in a more traditional way where it's like, you know, oh, I, I saw you with him. Like, do you have info on him or whatever? And then I love that little car chase, you know, you, if you could even call it one where like she like asks that guy looking for him to follow her in the taxi. Oh, yeah. And then great. like and then like he's just stopped by like, you know, kids crossing or whatever. And then she just gets away through that. You know what I mean? The, like the one obstacle car scene. And it's just like that one obstacle is enough. There's Got also lost. the police chase where Jack lets them uh, pull him over and pulls a fast one on them where he's just kind of creeping along as the guy gets out of the car and then speeds off. A classic maneuver for anyone needing to get away from a ticket. <laughs> Hot tip for evading the law. You yeah. know what I mean? All the places they go are so different i guess it's such a dynamic sense of setting like barcelona is so hectic and you know he introduces it antonioni introduces it by like a monkey in a cage on the street and there's all this traffic and noise and stuff but the place where they end up getting uh where maria schneider goes in talks to the police for him where they're staying at a hotel is just like seems like a completely barren city and there's this great shot of this like all these white buildings and this you know the the white and red car that jack buys driving through it and yeah i don't know it just feels like he covers so many different types of terrain and uh the characters are almost unfazed by it no yeah i was thinking about this too because maybe it's i don't know i'll just use this movie i'm not going to say his entire work but like Antonioni, of course, is attracted to shooting beautiful things, you know, as mm-hmm. you know, many directors are. But like, I feel like he never really like indulges in the way of like, you know, pure beauty or like kind of like just he could take something like that and all the locations are very beautiful or whatever, but it's never quite luxuriated in like a way I guess traditional directors do it to where it's like falling to like, I don't know, like the glamour 
of the place. There's still like, I, I, I could feel like Nicholson being somewhat unimpressed, I guess. I mean, without, I think the yeah. distance sort of yeah. makes it cold I guess in that respect. That's what I'm getting at. Maybe. It's like yeah, appreciating I mean, the beauty, but in a very cold way. Yeah, the landscape shots that don't have any people are in, in them are kind of about the absence of the people in them. And uh, yeah, he does a great job of doing that throughout the, you know, whatever, uh, however many films of his I've seen. The ending. So insane. He's in a hotel room. You know, you get this, I guess, the third to last shot of him lighting a match and laying in bed. And then from inside the hotel room, you very slowly like push in, washing out these, uh, the, the window with like bars in them. And then it goes outside of the window. First, the camera zooms in through those bars and then the camera is like handed off from inside the room to outside (laughs) and it has to zoom back out. And then I think it just goes fully handheld or maybe just on a crane for all the exterior stuff as Nicholson is assassinated off screen in his bed, I guess. And you just see Maria Schneider arrive and the police and all these different people coming and going and, I don't even know how to describe uh, Antonioni's mise-en-scene here. It is just purely next level. I mean, yeah, it's an amazing camera trick he does here. But it, like, it also it just it matches kind of like the the disaffection that's you know kind of felt throughout the movie. It's like as impressive as that shot is, like you know, like we've been saying a lot, it's at kind of a remove from the action or whatever, yeah. where we see people pulling up. We know what's going on, but that's all kind of like a. I guess literally behind us or whatever mm. in this shot. So like it, it, you know, you love to see, we love good camera tricks, you know, stuff like that in general, but you know, when you can kind of make it all work within, you know, the, the math and science of the film, you know, that's, that's good too. Uh, and of course his ex-wife uh, identifies him or not uh, as the dead body. Uh, she says, you know, is this David Robertson, which is the identity that he assumed she says that he never, she never knew him. And it's just like, geez, that's that's one way to identify a dead body. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you come all the way here for? <laughs> just to make a point. But it is a great line. Uh, no, yeah, it is. It is. Any any final thoughts on this one, JT? Yeah, I mean, it's we've talked so much about like the formal like beauty and just the the pleasure of watching this film, but I think it's also surprising with like how sparse like Antonioni is that he can communicate like so much politically like I think that like having Nicholson be like a western journalist who starts off in like Africa just like completely indifferent to things like gets involved like ultimately the the sort of plot with the arms dealers and things like that there's just so much going on here that just sort of all he leaves uh speak for itself because I, I I don't know it's stripped down to just I don't know so many images so many like real elemental things and uh yeah I'm gonna give this one four and a half bullets Welcome. I'm gonna give it four bullets uh yeah I enjoyed it a lot I think maybe I need to give it a, a full rewatch with you know me close up to the screen really <laughs> yeah. soaking, soaking up every image yeah you know, you get a little like sun glare in the corner. You know oh, what I mean? It could kind of take you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, what I mean, I don't. You know, I'm not. I need to get the professional level blackout curtains. You know what I mean? What I like about this movie is what I like about most Antonioni movies is kind of like the formal pleasures and kind of like his very distinct 
eye, you know, and visual style that I still feel it really is like kind of unmatched. He really is kind of one of one. Oh yeah. In that sense. And, uh, you know, I get to see my friend Jack Nicholson in it this time. You know, it's not some uh, some French guy I don't know or whatever. I'm acting like I, you know. But or Italian guy. Oh, usually. true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, hey, really good movie. What do you think about it, Eddie? Oh, I think it's a masterpiece. I think it's five bullet one. Um, five bullet one. And, uh, yeah, I, th- I think the the presence that Jack Nicholson brings to this is so different than that of, you know, uh, I I, want to say a male performer in one of his movies, but really since the women are such the focus of that trilogy, whether it's Monica Vitti or Jean Moreau in uh, La Note, I I feel like he has an impact on the movie that is almost, you know, greater than those ones. Uh, I don't know if it's, you know, quantifiable or whatever, Uh, but it's so different because it comes from such a different tradition of acting and such a different style of acting. And Antonioni is shaping the film around Jack, just like Nancy Myers shapes films around him uh, or shaped her film around him and the way he shaped his films around Monica Vitti uh, 10 years prior. I, I just think that, the uh, the journey that this film takes you on the the car ride that feels like it's the full two plus hours uh, the the landscapes that pass by will just kind of always gel with me and uh, I I think it's just like I don't know one of the greatest films to just sink into and feel the vibes for two hours and six minutes or whatever uh, and hey for as good as that penultimate shot is the final shot of the uh, ambulance driving away. And then you get that like almost sunset, like purple sky behind the hotel. Uh, pretty fantastic too. So yeah, five bullets for me. What can, what more can even be said <laughs> about the passenger by Michael Antonioni? By Michael Antonioni. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back on extended clip. Uh, this year, the Academy Board of Directors has voted to present the honorary Oscar to one of the movie's great visionaries. Michelangelo Antonioni. Oh, you know what I just found out? Uh, Well, I found it out like a day ago, not just now, but I uh, just downloaded it. So there's a David Mamet film from 2008 that the second build actor is Tim Allen. Really? Oh shit! Yeah, it's called Red Belt. It's about fighting. Oh, I've seen that poster before. I didn't know Tim Allen was in that. He's now on the poster. Yeah, he's second build. So I think I am gonna watch that very soon. Damn. Tim Allen and man, when's he really linked up with an auteur like that? That's I can't what even, I'm thinking. Yeah. yeah, usually he's in the driver's seat. You know what I mean? But as we've talked about on the Patreon, with uh, <laughs> was it crazy on the outside? Crazy on the outside at the Six Wives of Henry Lafay. Yeah, we we actually we've covered a lot of Tim Allen ground there. Yeah, if you go to Patreon.com/slash Extended Clip for two dollars a month, you will get however many fucking I think we've done like fifty-five bonus episodes at this point, and two of them are in the you know uh, project of Tim Allen authorship. It's slowly growing too. There are only two episodes about it now, but by the time you sign up. Who knows how many more will be up there? I mean, yeah, Red Belt, you know, we got to see how he impacts that movie. I'm not Maybe saying those we're shaggy definitely going to do a Red Belt episode, but it's it's likely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I'm, I'm prepared. Shaggy Dog I saw with my dad in theaters, and it was one of the first like kids movies I watched where I was like, why am I in the 
theater for this. I'm like 12 years old. This is just too fucking kiddie for me. I remember like going, like my brother was going to like a birthday party where they're going to see like Night, Night of the Museum 2. And like, you know, my brother's younger than me. So like, I, I think I was around the same age, maybe 12, 13. I don't know. I have to do the math. But I was just, I went and I was like, why the fuck am I here? Like, this is, this is a bad look. This is embarrassing. Like, I don't, fuck, I don't like this. I don't like Night at the Museum 2. You know? <laughs> What if someone from school sees me here? Oh, no. <laughs> I have to tell them what I'm I, seeing. I remember I heard someone getting clowned on for walking out of like a baby movie at school before. Like, <laughs> no, it's just in that trolls. movie getting head. That's that's what <laughs> it was. That's true. I was getting head from a historical figure <laughs> <laughs> who came alive and went to the. That's that's what the Purple Rose of Cairo should be about. The that purple head better, of Cairo. That would be a better movie. <laughs> Well, there's a better version of that, but I'm not going to say it for the sake Let's of goodness. Let's go. Let's go, Eddie. <laughs> Bring it to the table. The purple pussy of Cairo. Yes, that's what the viewers want. Yeah. That's what they want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> it, it is better, isn't it? <laughs> saying, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I can't stop saying it to my in my head to myself. And we're back on extended clip. It's Malcolm in the middle. Life is unfair. Malcolm... How's life been treating you? I guess, you know, uh, I mean, it's fine. I'm doing good. But uh, I watched uh, The Fly recently, David Cronenberg, Jeff Goldblum. And you know what? I kind of wish I did a better job watching this movie. I don't remember too much about it. <laughs> no, I mean I remember. I remember he turns into a fly or something. <laughs> but I, I guess while watching it, I, uh, I, I guess I, I want to get this take out here. It's not really a capsule review like you usually do. I'm just delivering a take here. Okay. Fly is not top tier Cronenberg. Okay. I I really like the Fly. Yeah, yeah me too. I fuck with it. Um, it's a strong four for me. I would disagree. No. I mean. Better than Videodrome. No. Yes. No. Definitely yes. not. Definitely not. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely not. J- James, I take James Woods over Goldblum too. That's wholesale. So that's, Wholesale? Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's go on to the next one. Let's go on to the next one. Who else is oh, that's it? Okay. All right, JT, what are you... Uh, I heard you saw a hot new release, JT. I did. I um. You saw well, Fast 9? No. I. What about... It? Nah, never mind. <laughs> but I did see a movie that uh, brought back a lot of favorite actors, beloved characters... I don't know. Uh, a man who has uh, set the country on fire, uh, Matt Farley and uh, Charles Roxburgh's, uh heard she got married. I was uh, looking forward to Metal Detector Maniac that oh, I think yeah, is I supposed to that. drop like this year, or maybe it might be next year now. But this coming out of left field, like in general, like got me super excited about there being a new Moturn production. Um, but it's just such a strange work by them because from what I've seen so far, and I mean, I've tried to check out like most of the early stuff. I think like I have a handful left. I haven't done like obtuse Todd, which I think was, would probably be the most directly analogous to this. Like her, she got married is kind of like them doing an art film in a way, or certainly something like more of like just a melodrama, but is still hilariously funny. And just, I think the visual style 
in this. Like there's sometimes even aside from like, I mean, I've seen online a lot of like Hong Sang Su comparisons. And I think that might be like a little bit of a stretch. Well, it's, I it's mean, black and white digital short movie. I think yeah. that's where people are getting at. But, but yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, I don't know. There is a lot of like moments in this where I was genuinely impressed, like visually in a way that I wasn't with uh, previous like Moturn work. No. Yeah. I, I also watched this too. And it is like, it is different that in, you know, I've only seen the ones where they're kind of, um, I guess aside from local legends that doesn't really count, but usually their wheelhouse is kind of doing like the genre riffs on riffs. genre. Yeah. Genre riffs. And that's, I guess there are like, you know, people, I think I've heard, you've seen people call this more noirish and you have that too, but it is, it is just kind of, uh, it's it's an interesting like structured movie where it is like you do kind of have this mystery you know thing going on but it also kind of has it's still very like uh it does there's no real sense of kind of urgency up until i guess the very very end you know to all this stuff it is it's still kind of you still kind of get all the stuff you enjoy from previous ones kind of like you know maybe some of the off kilter moments you get from like the acting or whatever or just uh like uh yeah just like kind of the uh, you know Matt Farley being a man around town and really being about his community or whatever and like i guess local legends is kind of another comparison to this one even though local legends is more autobiographical this one's kind of um i guess less upbeat variation of that like a guy who's doing what Farley kind of or just who a man who's a musician but doesn't seem to have that uh you know great uh, doesn't find great satisfaction in his work necessarily kind of just um, a lot of more meandering like you know much like uh, you know your favorite Antonioni movie a lot of walking around <laughs> landscapes absolutely in this movie and a lot of musical perform very like musical performance heavy too and you know I, I I liked my Matt Farley stuff you know in past you know well enough but I was like there's like some really fucking good songs in here I was enjoying some of the songs so uh I, I feel like I could rewatch this again too, since it's like it's so short and you know whatnot. But yeah, I I really enjoyed this. Yeah, I think the earlier stuff that I've seen where they try and do less like genre riff stuff, and it was like it gets into like more like weirdly serious territory like this. I feel like some of the meandering and wandering around goes on for a little too long. Yeah, but in this, I think it is is pretty tight and. I don't know. It feels like significant to like the character that like Farley is playing here a little bit like pessimistic and worn out just well enough. And like everyone in the movie is old. So that (laughs) I I don't know. It vibes with it. It's a, I I don't think it would probably like, it's certainly not the best like gateway into Farley's work, but it's just so interesting that they, I don't know. They've, made this step i feel like the guy who plays what's his name van higgins or whatever yeah i was like that's a new guy like i haven't there's a couple like newer characters that get a lot of acting time i think mayo is also a new addition to the moturn vert and like just and the way these scenes are set up you're right there is like kind of more of an intention to kind of like creating like very like uh just regularly like visually satisfying shots or whatever where you know like you know, just good framing and whatnot. There's, there's, it seems like there's more attention to that here than 
maybe other ones, but it is like, yeah, it still does like a lot of good tone balancing too, where it is like this one feels a lot more serious, but it's still, it's still funny. You still get the kind of the sense of humor that Farley and Roxburgh have. In yeah. The other talking ones. about homemade hot dogs, <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. Like, I don't know, like not in, it doesn't appear in this movie, but them talking about like things like coffee milk just stay in my conscious forever. <laughs> and it's, there's still, yeah, some, some original blend hot dogs you can enjoy here too. Can't wait to check it out. I watched a new release from late last year, and uh, it was one that comes from a director I really like, coming off of maybe his worst film, and so I stayed away, but you know, it got great reviews, and uh, a lot of my friends said it was really good, and I finally watched it, and it's Let Them All Talk, and I have to say, I think maybe toward the end of 2020, we were like just so starved for uh movies you know so many movies have been shelved so many awful quarantine contents had come out uh and people really just thought let them all talk was a really good movie and i'm here to say that it really was not uh i you know like most soderbergh films or i would even say like all soderbergh films it's very stylistically accomplished and uh, he's really quite the editor he's working in a uh, workflow like no other person you know he was editing uh, high flying bird on the fly as it were and you know I think he wrapped that editing process when Unsane was coming out and he just works at this incredible rate taking on these scripts that maybe are not all that interesting but like good enough to you know get him by stylistically and this one just hit like a fucking thud against my brain of just absolutely atrocious dialogue and it is the most talky film he's ever made um yeah it's just Meryl Streep you know she's a very acclaimed author who's taking a uh, boat ride a, a passing with uh her sisters Diane Wiest and uh Candace Bergen and her nephew Lucas Hedges is also in on the action uh, as well as her assistant, I guess, or not assistant, but like someone who works for the book publishing company, uh, played by Gemma Chan. And yeah, it's a very dialogue heavy movie. And the dialogue was repulsive to me. What I, are they talking about? Just typical shit. Just like, uh, oh, I can't believe, you know, uh, she wrote about typical for this well, shit. It, it's very much like, oh, so she, she actually writes about the people she knows and they kind of take offense to that. And it's like, oh, that happens in a lot of movies. Oh, Sometimes she's just Woody Allen. She's yeah, Woody so, Allen. Yeah, yeah, it could be Woody Allen. It could be Hong <laughs> Sang Soo. It could be, uh, even Nancy Myers. Uh, yeah. but like this just was so unenjoyable to me thoroughly. Like it was such a deep investigation of a milieu that made me want to kill myself that I had no choice but to give it one and a half bullets uh, and shut it off very angrily right when it ended. <laughs> I was very angry. Turned it off in a huff. Yeah, I was very mad. I said, Slamming your laptop God shut. Damn it. Fuck this. That's tr- I mean, so th- you've seen some of this stuff Soderbergh's done in the past and then you, you know, you watch something like this. I can understand. I mean, I haven't seen it. It looks. It looks. It looked really bad, to be honest. Yeah. That's why I didn't watch it. But like, um, I mean, yeah, I watched like The Limey for the first time three weeks ago or something rules. like that. Like that movie's fucking amazing. You telling me this guy's letting them all talk? Come on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. He should have shut them the fuck up. Smosh. Smosh voice. Shut up. Do you, you guys remember Smosh? No. All right. No. I'll stop. <laughs> 
<laughs> Tell us more about Smosh. Okay, well, I remember <laughs> when I was young and I was just getting access to the internet, I would uh, watch YouTube videos. And I think that's how they started each one of their their sketches was there'd be a big shut up or whatever. And I thought that was kind of provocative for the time. I was like, whoa, okay. Okay. Yeah, you want to know more? You want to know more? No, or? I'm just kind of. Uh, I'm putting together the pieces. I'm learning more and more about your past, which kind of informs your present and really informs your future more than anything. So, uh, we'll be right back on extent. I should have been grinding during all that time I was watching YouTube videos. <laughs> You're right. I should have been fucking hustling. You can't. Took Viagra. You have been through this before. Let's run a 12 lead EKG. All right, you having chest pain right now? No. It, it, would be a great, it would be a great story. Yeah, all right, not to go too sports, so I'll just keep it at this. People always, you know, accuse him and Harden of the same shit with like the three throw stuff, and that's legitimate to an extent. But it is like that third quarter of that game, he was doing Globetrotter shit, man. Oh, yeah. yeah no, Trey Young is completely nuts. Like, he's yeah. so good. Yeah. He's just frustrating, but he's so fucking good. He's fucking doing bounces off the backboard, you know, doing. You know, I just needed him to spin the ball on his, you know, finger or whatever. Yeah. That's all I needed. That big, <laughs> big, baggy jersey looking like a little tramp out there. <laughs> the tramp. Is he, is he the Charlie Chaplin of basketball? <laughs> Trey, uh, trying to get people. Instead of like kicking people in the butt. That's like all the taunting and stuff that he does is very, very much like the tramp kicking people in the butt is Trey Young uh, sticking his butt out to get fouled and doing, you know, shimmy like moves to taunt people. He was showing his whole ass out yeah. last night. We should. We should like just say, like make comparisons like that to get our listenership into sports. It's like, oh yeah, he's like the Charlie Chaplin of sports. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 uh. One of the silent masters. <laughs> the second film that we're talking about on Jack Week is Something's Gotta Give, the 2003 romantic comedy by Nancy Myers. We've never reviewed a Nancy Myers film in the pod. Um, actually, on a very early episode of the pod, I think I conflated her filmography with like Nora Ephron or something. Very, very sexist of me, and I've done so much the, better. The growth has been amazing yeah. throughout in the, time the pod. Since. If you listen to the first episode, we are just men full of hate. But as <laughs> as of now, dude, we're we're kind we of love, changed. Love. We're changed. Got yeah, love is what changed it for us. It kind of uh, <laughs> pointed us in the right direction. Absolutely. <laughs> but in the time since, I have mastered the Nancy Myers filmography. <laughs> And uh, I got to say, Something's Gotta Give might be the crown jewel of said filmography. It is so great. It stars Jack Nicholson, Diane Keaton, Keanu Reeves, Amanda Peet, and Francis McDormand alongside Jon Favreau in smaller, very, very (laughs) terrible character roles, but pulled off perfectly within the framework of the film. Jon Favreau shows up for like, a minute and 30 seconds God, in this I movie. I hate his fucking guts I, well, so much. I, was, I mean, I guess I was just happy to be like, you know, he wasn't around. He's like fucking like fifth build, but he's like yeah. there, there very briefly at yeah. one scene. <laughs> kind of funny. Kind of funny. Maybe he was still riding high off swingers and you got to bill him kind of high. I don't know. Uh, he is the demon of cinema though, and we will always <laughs> hate him well, on this I've, podcast. I've never seen swingers. Would that change our opinion on him? Would it be like, wow, no. he's like a cool Even if swingers guy. was like a three and a half, which is definitely the ceiling for swingers, it would not change my opinion of him. He still did chef. Still, still uh, did yeah. chef. That's like if George W. Bush, you know, <laughs> was in like a pretty good, like, 
you know, rock band in like the seventies. I guess you could just use Reagan as a real example, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, 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 he was <laughs> still kinda, bad. Yeah. Yeah. He was pretty subpar as an actor. That's true. He wasn't like, you know, like I'm saying politics if Bu- aside, if, if Bush was in like an eighties rock band that had like, like a three and a half album. What's what's an example of that for you? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Put <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs> me on the fucking spot. Uh, uh, uh. Well, I just, I'm trying to give. I'm trying to yeah, this extended a, clip, not Robert Christgau's fucking uh, album hour. Um, I don't know why I said that. I was like, Who's that? <laughs> You're just making this more obscure and obscure as it goes. I'm trying He's to paint like a picture for the most famous for music critic of all time. Well, people don't know. I think I think the most famous music critic of all time is Anthony Fantano. <laughs> so you might have to correct yourself there. It's very true. It's very true. Uh, so something's got to give. This is such a beautifully shot film. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. just like well put together. You know, Michael Bauhaus, obviously the the master DP, uh, alongside with Nancy Myers designing the visual look of this film, the sheen, as it were. Uh, very artificial at points. Uh, one example, the early driving scene with Amanda Peet. Uh, where like I th- Jack Nicholson's dialogue is like whispered pretty much, and it's <laughs> it, it seems almost obvious that it's some sort of like rear projection or something like that. There's also the thunderstorm uh, when Jack and Diane Keaton's romance blooms toward the middle of the movie. That is very artificial in a kind of classic Hollywood way, and yeah, I feel like this film has a very kind of uh not glossy but almost gauzy old school classic sheen to it that looks really incredible and is perfect for even aged movie stars no yeah it's super sunny looking super yeah super fucking bright and it is just uh i don't know it kind of puts me in a good mood yeah you know what i mean it it puts like uh i don't know works like, well on a tv during the middle of the day probably absolutely. Yeah. yeah absolutely oh and you know kind of like what's the arena myers is working in here kind of like upper middle class maybe even mm-hmm. wealthy people you know yeah perhaps you know it's like you know, people, you know, they want to show the, the ugly side of wealthy people nowadays. I just appreciate super sunny, happy sheen, rich people enjoying themselves, enjoying their wealths. Maybe I'm not there yet, but it's, you know, I, if, it feels like the sun shines upon me when I'm watching this movie. Yeah, Jack and Diane <laughs> walking down the down the beach dressed all in white, you know? Oh, yeah. Or, like or the, the ye- or there's like one where they're like both like one's wearing like a yellow... I think Jack's wearing like a yeah. yellow button down. She's wearing like a yellow sweater, super sunny. I'm like, this is sun over. This is summer right here. You don't even need to go to the beach. And to speak <laughs> more on the costumes, uh, it's a it's a big element of the production design, I would say, uh, particularly like the uh, the scene after Jack Nicholson accidentally sees Diane Keaton naked, and the next day she's like wearing this all black outfit, like she's coming from a funeral, kind of. It's I don't know. It's very goofy and endearing in a way that. This film really takes its time to lay all of the dramatic cards on the table and really set up the narrative. And I think that's one of its great strengths. It's like only 30 minutes in that you realize like what's going to happen in this movie, what this movie's going to be about. If you don't already know, of course, or you didn't even look at the fucking poster. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but 
it really gives enough time to get to know these characters and make them so funny, endearing, etc. Like the romantic comedy in general is such a comfortable and like familiar vibe where you usually know what's going to happen. And this just like, I don't know, takes its time, like nice and slow. You get to be charmed by these characters and just luxuriate in these beautiful vibes. Like, uh, I don't know. It's something I really enjoy spending a lot of time in this world. It's pleasant. And uh, I, I appreciate all the time there. And I feel like maybe these characters, they kind of just start off kind of as maybe, or just maybe it's playing off our perception of these characters, but kind of just, you know, kind of goofy, you know, it's all very funny. It's all very screwball at first. And, you know, I'm happy in that mode. If, if that's what was only delivered, I'd be perfectly satisfied. But yeah, I think the length of the movie kind of gives you time to, yeah, where you, you actually, these characters kind of mutate into something else and their real emotions are kind of considered and kind of take something that could just easily just be very goofy about, you know, this Jack Nicholson old guy, you know, you know, being a retired pussy hound or something like that. And just kind of turns it into something that's uh, genuinely sweet. And uh, I mean, but it is like, I, I think the first, you know, even before it's sweetness, this movie is really fucking funny. Like I really, I, was, Absolutely. I, I really thought it was hilarious and maybe especially that kind of like that first portion where it is kind of a lot of like broad gags, like him getting a fucking heart attack before he has sex or, or even just them like playing, like, I don't know. There's, I could just go through multiple things and be like, that was funny when that happened. Yeah. Like when he's just like (laughs) creeping around the grocery store, uh, licking an ice cream and just staring at it. Yeah. That's so awesome. He was, yeah, he was practicing. He was putting in that work. (laughs) He was letting everyone know. (laughs) <laughs> no yeah it, it it is uh it's it's i mean just to give some like jack nicholson being like the executive of a hip-hop label or whatever <laughs> oh and, uh, he beautiful. believes that there's real poetry to that kind of stuff you know <laughs> sure he's listening to the roots and stuff like that where diane keaton not to impress you know she's like how many times can you rhyme bitch with a bitch yeah she's a real crap enthusiast yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what that's i mean in 03 Maybe that's, I think that's how people their age were talking. Oh, absolutely. I mean, mean, she is a white upper class, you know, established writer. Of course, she hates rap music. True. (laughs) She's a little, you know, she's always wearing the turtle. Misogynistic. You know what that's code for. (laughs) (laughs) Racist. (laughs) Let me see if I get where you're headed here. I'm sorry, I don't look. I hate rap. I do. I really do. It's just sort of crude and violent for my taste, not to mention just a tad misogynistic. Hey. Some people see rap as poetry. Yeah, but come on. How many words can you rhyme with bitch? Nancy Myers exposed. <laughs> We're supposed to relate with this character? <laughs> and she's not even listening to sick-ass fucking rap? That's come the on. funny thing is uh, like an accusation that's kind of levied against Nancy Myers movies. Uh, the same way people refer to like friends, you know, even. It's just like, why should I care about these, you know, people who don't have any problems just, you know, dating or whatever. And it's like... Well, first of all, movies, very different than the sitcom. But uh, despite the fact that Nancy Myers films may be played on TBS in between Friends reruns, probably, uh, there is such a heightened visual style, you know, always working with great uh, cinematographers. And the production design is always so immense, you know, so detailed uh, according to the character. It's not like you, you hear a lot of, 
uh, I was going to say off color. That's not the right word I was looking for. <laughs> Offhanded remarks about like, oh, Nancy Myers movies. Yeah, she's got the nice kitchens. It's like, okay, buddy. Uh, Are you really <laughs> that excited about that? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, and it's just like there is so much to the places where people live, the clothes they wear, the little things they toy around with, like Jack Nicholson uh, just goofing around with the thermometer while he's IMing Diane Keaton is just fantastic. And uh, yeah, I think this film is just overwhelming with detail as well as very broad sentiment and humor. Well, I think also, I guess where people get that from is like, I feel like this movie, especially um, like a lot of like of her movies, I think it's complicated comes to mind. There's a lot of sequences inside like these characters homes, like these homes really matter to them. And thinking about that sequence in the middle where, you know, Jack and Diane Keaton uh, hook up and it's kind of like an extended, it's like about like a half hour maybe, or maybe it's like 20 minutes of them, you know, kind of going through the process. Uh, yeah, you know, or, you know, to, up to the point where they sleep with each other. But like the way that's like kind of stretched out is done in a very in, impressive way to really give like that sequence a lot of meaning. Whereas like, I don't know, others, you know, she'll use the six months later or whatever. Yeah. But it's like that, that like specific stretch, she really lets, um, you know, play out to the fullest degree. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of a combination of tendencies of like new Hollywood type movies and very classic Hollywood screwballs. You know, like you have these two icons of new Hollywood, Jack Nicholson and Diane Keaton, like two of the great stars of the era, no doubt. And it is a very screwball-y setup. For those who haven't seen the movie, we haven't really said what happens. Uh, Jack Nicholson is a famous bachelor <laughs> who <laughs> loves dating young women. <laughs> And Eddie Averill, if you will. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> I was, I'm saying you're a fucking playboy. Yeah. You're a fucking champ. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You got him forgetting pussy. <laughs> That'll show him. <laughs> uh, but w what does he say? He says uh, that sweet, uncomplicated satisfaction of the younger woman. Uh, that, that's the monologue that opens up this movie just oh. to get you in the right mindset as you get all these glamour shots of like classic early 2000s uh models at clubs uh with just like walking through the street with smoke rising up and stuff just perfectly glamour shot by michael bauhaus of course wow fucking uh butterfly by crazy town is playing. oh my yes. god that is i mean you know I mean, someone's must have said this before, but it's like, you're, you're, like that's that's like, uh, you know, opening Miami Vice level right there for me, yeah. like deployment of music. And I was just really hyped on that kind of like, yeah, just like this B-roll of models, Nicholson <laughs> waxing about women while Butterfly plays. I'm like, yeah, this movie's going to be up my alley for sure. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the beginning of The Departed for a very different feeling. There's <laughs> 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 like shots of the history of Boston while Nicholson is just going on this incoherent racist rant. Like, it's kind of the inverse of that, you know, to say like it would be a classic double feature. But of course, we went much higher brow than the departed for our a movie not that this movie's low brow or anything like that uh it, it, i guess it would hit right in the middle wouldn't it absolutely it wouldn't absolutely. offend anyone's sensibilities mm -hmm. too much there's a mean, little bit of nudity yeah, it's say. a little more vulgar than some of meyer's other works so there's some toilet language in here some trash you could cut out of there no, just kidding. <laughs> there's some hot old people sex in this man i was never i never i could never thought that 
two old people having sex could be hot before. <laughs> but it's like, damn, I want to fucking take a, my scissors through a cashmere sweater. You know what I mean? It's like, it's. <laughs> I know you're saying this like semi jokingly. But? But, but in, uh, I believe, I'd have to look at when the movie came out, but when It's Complicated came out, I remember walking around with my friend who had seen it and he was telling me that, like, he was. It made me very uncomfortable that he told me this, but he told me that he was very turned on by the sex scene with uh, Meryl Streep and Alec Baldwin. And he was like, if I had to, you know, with one old lady, I mean, that for an old lady, real. And I was just like, come on, man. Let's please talk about something else. Can we talk about Megan Fox? I don't want to, these old. I I literally, even in middle school, I was just like, nah, dude, baseball, baseball, basketball. Let's go, man. Have you seen this guy? He's hitting 290. It's pretty sick. It's like no man, I I'm fucking I jerked off the Transformers for the thirteenth time last night. That's what I wasn't watching baseball. All right, let's let's get back to the game here. Uh, so I didn't even set up the movie as I said I was going to. Uh, Jack Nicholson, famous playboy, uh, is dating Amanda Pete. They go to visit her mother's vacation house to have a nice little weekend together and finally have sex for the first time. And uh, she, you know, strips and she's, you know, so excited. They're so excited, man. It's, it's going to be the <laughs> sweetest yeah. thing ever. He's getting champagne to put on ice. And then uh, he is seen as a burglar or an intruder as Diane Keaton and Francis McDormand walk in and you get a great kind of classic screwball meat cute. Uh, <laughs> that starts off very imposing. And of course the first 30 minutes, uh, that relationship is very menacing between Jack and Diane as he is dating her daughter. And uh, right as he's about to have sex with her daughter, he has a heart attack and repulsion kind of turns to the first step of romance as Diane Keaton is forced to give him mouth to mouth. And I don't know how necessary it was either, which is pretty funny because no one else even bothered to like even suggest it. She just kind of dove right in there, which is a pretty hilarious uh, thing. And yeah, their relationship somewhat blossoms from there as he has to stay at the house for a few days before he can travel back to the city. Keanu Reeves is introduced as his doctor, a big fan of, I almost said a big fan of Nancy Myers, a big fan of Diane Keaton's plays, uh, as Diane Keaton maybe could be seen as a Nancy Myers stand-in. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's kind of hard not to think that yeah. with this movie. Even if she is, it's like an extra layer of kind of winking at that with uh, Diane Keaton's character writing about her own life. Go no, ahead. yeah. And also just kind of like, like it is funny, like the Nicholson cool guy we have here. Cause like, of course we could buy it since like Nicholson's career, his accomplishments and all that stuff. But it is like, you know what I mean? You, you get like a, like kind of like the, you know, the cool nerdy girl or whatever, you know, written by like a male screen or like, you know, that's kind of like, maybe, I don't know if like, this is the female version of that is like Nicholson, like, you know, like a manic pixie playboy or whatever here or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the pussy getter with a heart of gold. The pussy getter. Yeah, basically. That you can tie down. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. Yeah, that is that's, like... that's what I'm getting at. <laughs> JT is much smarter than me, so he said it in a more succinct yeah. way. <laughs> smarter. The pussy getter with a heart of gold. Oh, true. He might just... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but anyway, as I said, the romance blossoms uh, by the midpoint they've fully uh, partnered up 
and uh, then they fully break up by the 90 minute mark it's kind of a perfectly evenly structured movie and just like 30 minute uh chunks that have very different emotional swings and uh yeah it's it's uh i don't know it's quite endearing towards the end as uh jack goes all the way to paris to see her after his year of apologizing to all of his exes and growing a beard and uh, <laughs> getting better in terms of his heart condition. <laughs> he finds uh, Diane Keaton and Keanu Reeves, a couple in Paris, and he manages to break them up. <laughs> incredible. <laughs> the playboy strikes one last time Yeah, before, before it's all said and done. No, you know what's interesting about this movie? Because it... Like, it is set up where, like, yeah, you have, like, Francis McDormand and Keanu Reeves. And, like, they're not in the movie as much as you would think. Like, a lot of it yeah, is, Yeah, well, like, at least Reeves isn't in the movie as much as you would think. True. Yeah. I mean, yeah, McDormand is, like, uh, you know, she's... Yeah, she has, like, two or three scenes or she something. She has two or three, like, lengthy yeah. scenes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it's, like... The former IDF soldier, uh, women's studies professor, Francis McDormand. True. Reminds me of so many people I know. But um, Such a common trope. <laughs> um, Honestly, Nancy Myers, come on. We've seen a billion, you know, former IDF soldier, uh, women's studies professors before. <laughs> yeah, give us, give us something new. But, uh... What was I going to say? Oh yeah, just like the the kind of like the mid section of the movie, which I already kind of mentioned, but just a lot of this movie really is just kind of like Nicholson and Keaton kind of playing off each other, and that you know that's a two very professional actors. It's a pleasure to see, and like I don't know, like that, um, you know, after they have sex for the first time, and then like she cries and like he cries, it it just it reaches some like very interesting like emotional epochs or whatever throughout the movie that like I guess I wasn't exactly expecting but i i enjoy it nonetheless you mentioned it gets like really like i don't know serious and sincere there at the end but even still like there are a lot of like really good jokes and bits like towards the second half like i love watching keaton's play come together there yeah. at the end that's just like a mixture for like frantically typing and then just sobbing her eyes out for a little bit that's just such i mean where I feel like she gives like a like a, an amazingly powerful like serious performance oh, like yeah. some of the the yucks and just neurotic uh, comedy that she's doing in this is like I don't know it's her and Jack are on the same par here yeah definitely and you know it's also funny about that play is kind of just seeing like Jack's reaction to that kind of like to see like your own behavior reflected in front of you and just be like oh man is is that what I'm doing is that what I'm up to like that's always a uh, a funny thing to me. Yeah. Uh, any final thoughts on this one, Malcolm? A rating? Four bullets. Uh, had a great time. Laughed throughout. Had to, you know, if you were to walk in on my house, you know, like without my permission, if you were just come in while I was watching the movie, I would probably be smiling while watching it. That's a pretty big. That's a pretty big feat. <laughs> so uh, you're um, usually very stone faced while watching movies. I mean, I don't know. Do, are you very? I don't know. Yeah, I'm I, always smiling. I'm, I keep. I keep. I'm cold. I'm the happy cinephile. I'm cold as ice. I'm. I'm not happy or sad. I'm analyzing. I'm taking shot percentages and stuff like that. You got I'm like stopwatch out. Yeah, exactly. It was like, what's that in the corner of the frame? Rewind that. Yeah, you're uh, going to Antonioni <laughs> mode. You're like cold and distant. Exactly. Exactly. But Myers dialed me into her own sensibilities, and I was. I was feeling it on an emotional level. And like, yeah, I don't know. There's, I think there's like, this movie's a little bit more accomplished than maybe people would give it credit for visually. Like, 
I think like it does kind of have like this artificial feel to it that like as things get more real in the relationship movie kind of has more of a realistic less uh you know uh almost not sitcomish but just ultra sunny sheen and uh i don't know that's that's something to be heralded but one of you guys also has opinions on this movie JT does. Um, yeah, I'm gonna go uh, three and a half bullets for this. It feels like um, I don't know, like popping an edible and doing chores for my mom. Like it's, uh, <laughs> it's like it has that feeling of it being like too bright, like yeah, you yeah. know, and just uh, but in like the most positive way. You're like, it's nice to see an upper middle class white woman do some like good art that is like personal to like that type of environment. And like, there's so much like legitimate craft here that I don't know. It's a great time. Oh yeah. That's also just, it's really funny too, which is like, that's can't be said enough. And just like, I don't know the style in it. Like one thing that I don't think we mentioned is at a few points, just the way she like, elapses conversations with just like little montages and stuff like that it's just uh i it's i feel like this is gonna sound fucked up but it's like the elegant like beauty of like a car commercial or something it's like a very middle class like nice like way to just sort of glide through moments there and uh i i don't know i like that little like because that happens when uh uh nicholson interrupts uh her and keanu at the end there and it's like them sort of catching up before it and it's just i don't know pleasant vibes great time i agree i think it's a great movie i give it four bullets i think this is maybe my favorite nancy myers movie it's up there uh the intern is also right up there for me but this is just such a funny movie so well crafted uh, I would give the images more credit than saying that they're car commercial esque. Oh. Uh, no, I wasn't like that. Wasn't meant to. Some car commercials look good. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> I, Not I, really. I, just, I just, I just, I mean, I bet there's one that looks good. Yeah. We pull one up. Listeners, <laughs> submit a car commercial that you think looks good. Okay. Uh, send me some Listener challenge. commercial David Fincher shot. And it's like, that doesn't count. Uh, <laughs> oh, see? see he's already making exceptions already. He's already changing the rules to this new fan challenge. It's surely the <laughs> pop, you know, set fire to everything. Yeah. Uh, I agree with JT that uh, Diane Keaton's performance is like on par with Jack Nicholson's here. It's so incredible. And I think that it's such a strange film to come out in the early 2000s while the rest of Hollywood was doing quite different things than this. Uh, This is just such a formally accomplished, you know, incredibly well-written and performed romantic comedy in an era of you know, relaxing and enjoyable, but all, you know, ultimately trashy romantic comedies. And we've talked about a few of them on this podcast, like Little Black Book or 40 Days and 40 Nights or um, what's the Drew Barrymore one? It's really creepy. Never Been Kissed? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Even I mean, the title alone, you're like, who's this woman? Never Been Kissed? <laughs> it's a fun movie, off. but it's like yeah. undeniably quite creepy. Uh, <laughs> Also, I mean, just think about like what they got like Paul Greengrass coming out now, just like shaky or not now, but then like with like shaky cam. Uh, (laughs) I mean, you never know these days. You have to look it up later. But uh, and then you just have, you know, super sunny kind of classical style Myers just with like fucking hostels coming out. It's like piss yellow the whole time. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't really have much else to say. It was nice to see uh, Patrick Fischler show up. He works on uh, oh, set yeah, for Nancy Myers on the play. There and gone. Great. Who's Gr- Patrick Fischler? He's the guy who's in a lot of David Lynch stuff. Who like uh, He's the guy who makes the jokes that make uh, Jack have an anxiety attack when he visits the production of the play. Yeah. Mm. Uh, you know, he's like the assistant guy. He goes oh. behind the Winkies in Mulholland uh, Drive. Yeah. Oh, okay. He's yeah. The guy from the scary. Oh, yeah, yeah, scary, yeah, yeah, yeah. Scary Trash Man. Yeah, and he was in Mad Men, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. He pops up everywhere. Scary Trash Man. I remember things. That's for sure. <laughs> Didn't seem like it at first. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's deep in there. Big brain. Big brain. Got a lot of, to dig through before I find it. <laughs> extended clip podcast at gmail.com is where you can get in touch with us uh we have a few emails this week but we'll work through them quick our first one comes from meredith and it says email to parenthesis mill you and it says hello boys as i am making my way through the extended clip catalog i can't help but notice the frequent use of the term mill you what's up with that is it a film thing or do yins just really like that word what does yins mean like y'all okay i don't know why that sounded like a slur like we're <laughs> yeah. all yins yinzer is that like a slur look it up i don't know i feel like there are a few things we say a lot on this show i mean I, oh, there's you more said, to the email but oh sorry you said one of one today True. malcolm and what, that's pussy uh, pussy <laughs> someone someone also said that on the twitter something like you me say- saying pussy i didn't even get it i was like i don't even know what that means respect though for saying that but i didn't back to the email <laughs> I can't remember seeing slash hearing it in film studies classes I took, but I won't rule out bad reading comprehension on my part. Thank you and keep up the good work. Oh, she didn't say good. I just kind of added. Love the podcast. (laughs) Thank you and keep up the work. Uh, Respectfully. (laughs) Meredith. Yeah, where's the good? Could we got a good work there? Couldn't we have gotten the good work? Uh, it's not a film word. It's just a word. And uh, now I'm going to be really self-conscious about saying it. Yeah, you're so. never going to hear Mill you yeah. on the podcast. You know what? Again. I feel like what happens sometimes like and like one person will use a word and then we'll like the other person on the podcast will like, use that word. Like we go in word cycles sometimes. Yeah, where we'll it's have like, like a month of saying <laughs> Mill you a lot. Like someone will bring a word to the table and we're all like, we're a fan of that word. We're going to use that. <laughs> the first time one of us said mise-en-scene, oh my goodness. Yeah, wait till we hit our mono no aware era. Oh. Let's not get ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> Next email comes from Julian. Subject line is Godard newbie. Hello, lads. Simple question here. Where to start with Godard? His filmography is pretty intimidating, so can you give a handful of films to start with for a newbie? Keep up the grind and hustle, Julian. Nice. Well, I do like that farewell message. Um, I would say you should sample a little bit everything. You should sample a couple from the 60s, a couple from the 80s, uh, maybe one of the newer ones too. If I'm going to throw a new wave suggestion at you, it's going to be Breathless. It's not like the best one, but it's like you might as well start with fucking Breathless, right? No, yeah, because I, I feel like, yeah, Breathless, I love Breathless. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. And I think it's a good place to start. But it's also I like I think there's I've heard multiple people say this where like they like will watch Godard and they don't like the French New Wave stuff and I think we've discussed it like we still like some to a good amount of that stuff oh, yeah. but we understand where that person might be coming from or whatever. Yeah, I definitely prefer the 80s to the 60s for Godard, but that doesn't mean, you know, the 60s films are anything to sneeze at. There's a ton that I put at like four and a half or even five, I would say. Uh, from the new wave, after you watch Breathless, I would say like Viva Savi, 
uh, Contempt, and two or three things I know about her are probably my favorite 60s ones. Yeah, I feel like it's just Godard is like a filmmaker where it does really benefit to like go at least somewhat like chronologically to like, I don't know, I think to like get like an understanding of like his vibe at at first, like film out. Yeah, to get a bearings for the beginning of his career. And then you could kind of hop around after that. Once you get your feet planted in the new wave works, Hop over to the 80s, watch uh, Prenome Carmen and listen to our episode about it. And mm-hmm. uh, watch, uh, go to the 2000s, watch uh, Notre Music and listen to our Patreon episode about mm-hmm. it with Seamus. So many great uh, movies that there's episodes to. What a convenience. In Praise of Love, another masterpiece <laughs> that we talked about on an episode. But also, I guess it's, I to go back to my previous comment, I guess it's like, if you kind of find yourself turned off by the new wave stuff, Check out the 80s stuff or the that stuff as well because that does have like a different feel to it. 80s stuff's a little more, uh, I don't want to say upbeat because the 60s stuff has some very upbeat stuff, obviously, like Band of Outsiders. You know, he's just so excited to return to somewhat narrative cinema after making somewhat boring Marxist films for a decade. <laughs> uh, some of them are really good. Some of them are very boring. I feel like Contempt is like a good kind of like it has that new wave but it does kind of remind me a lot of his older stuff too just yeah. a random comment but yeah definitely yeah wait i'm confused by that actually you said it has the new wave and the older stuff contempt was like 1963 no no that's what i'm saying like it's one of his new wave movies that kind of reminds me of his older stuff in a way you mean newer stuff Oh yeah, like newer, oh, he's older when he's making it, but yeah. Oh, newer. oh, as an older man, <laughs> Jesus. Christ, no, yeah, man. that's really, that's that's on me for because sure. I thought you meant that at first, and then I thought about what you said, and I was like, I can't leave that in the podcast. Hey, whenever whenever I say something, don't overthink it. Just go with that gut feeling. Uh, <laughs> listeners, listen to that. <laughs> Next one, last one uh, from Jack. It says JT goes full Armand mode on an 80s classic. <laughs> that's that's a sick. That's like news to me. It's like, did JT do this? Let's <laughs> let's see what's good. <laughs> this just in. Uh, JT goes full Armand mode on an 80s classic. Howdy, extended clip. I recently rewatched The Goonies, 1985, for the first time since 2007. And while the film is far from what I consider one of the great 80s films, it definitely was better than what I was expecting it to be. I wasn't very surprised to find that most of the people I follow on Letterboxd hadn't rated the film since, like myself, they probably haven't watched it since they were younger. Luckily, I got a pleasant surprise when I saw that everyone's favorite minion artist had given it a half star rating on Letterboxd. Look, guys, I'm a simple man. I get excited each week to listen to the newest episode, but we do have to keep the facts straight. Nothing beats the wonderful feeling of the sweet, sweet hot takes that the extended clip crew has to offer when it comes time to take some of these quote-unquote classics down a peg. (laughs) Sorry, Richard Donner, but we, the listeners of extended clip, love a good takedown from JT and the boys. (laughs) That was very funny. (laughs) Yeah, that was good. (laughs) Um... What's your take on the Goonies? What's the review looking like? I don't I think I've seen I that didn't one. Leave uh, rant a review. incoming. So it's just a half star. <laughs> it's just a half star. I mean, part of the half star is just the iconoclastic. Like this movie is bad, um, and I didn't. I I think I've only seen this like once in middle school, where it was like the the 80s kid Spanish teacher was like, "Oh man, you guys are in for a treat today. We're not doing anything." 
except watching Goonies. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know. It's just a bad uh, kids movie that, like, I don't know. I think a lot of people elevate to a certain status because they grew up with it. Gets lumped in with a lot of shit. Like, does, I don't know. It's not particularly funny. And fat phobic. There are a lot of oh, things no. about oh um, no that that wow. Asian boy. Do you want to look see what they do to him? I don't. I don't even want to know. <laughs> don't get me started on sloth. I know it's uh, <laughs> sloth. Actually, looks good to me. <laughs> He's nice with it. He's like, nice with it. I actually think he looks good. Um, Did you ever see the thing of Kobe Bryant teasing DJ and Banga for looking like sloth? Oh no, that's... dude, it's so fucked. <laughs> like that's so messed up. But like DJ and Banga had like had this slam dunk, and there's this clip of Kobe on the sideline watching, and he stands up and goes, "Hey, you guys!" <laughs> it's like doesn't matter if you're you're not killing me in this game, you're still ugly. Don't forget it. Uh, Goonies is a good title, though. Maybe that helps with the nostalgia. Oh, Goonies? absolutely. Goonies? Yeah. That's a good... Like, yeah, man. I was growing up the Goonies. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you have to say. The Goonies. Yeah. we Back when stuff like the Goonies was being made, you know? You know what I like that probably operates in a similar <clears throat> milieu? Uh-oh. Meredith is going to hate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Monster Squad. Uh, What's that? Oh, by Fred Decker. It's a it's a cool movie with a bunch of twelve year olds that like monsters. It's just like a nice, solid, youth friendly, uh, not even horror movie, Halloween movie. I'll call it. <laughs> Those are fun. I remember watching like stuff like that back in the like yeah, not scary, but like horror Halloween themed children's entertainment. He also has a legit like great horror movie, Night of the Creeps, um. which I've mentioned on this podcast before. Anyway, that's it. That's all. That's, that's all. It. Yeah, that's all. That's folks. all we really fucking uh, have. JT, for you. do you have a pick for next week? Oh yeah, I do. Um, I take a lot of inspiration from the two of you boys. Oh. I, well, me to you. <laughs> in life, and uh, me to you. Uh, um, I I don't know. You guys are my rocks, and I think I was a little bit inspired by both of you in my next pick. Which is because of you, Malcolm. I can't wait to hear what happens next. (laughs) Um, For the Patreon, uh, we did a movie from Brazil. And I was like, oh, man, we're not like, I don't know. There's a lot of like uh, South American movies and just like, I don't know, a lot of countries in general that we haven't covered yet. Um, And you, Eddie, picking The Passenger an Antonioni movie that he's doing with a famous American actor. I was really interested in doing a movie or like the main theme is directors outside of their home countries making movies. And the A movie is Soy Cuba about the uh, Soviet filmmaker who comes to uh, Cuba, makes some propaganda that's very beautiful. And the second is America's Favorite Son, uh, Kave Zahidi oh. uh, going over to the Middle East to make the Sheik and I. Nice. Nice, nice double feature. You know where I thought you were going with that? Fucking John Malkovich and Manuel D. Oliveira <laughs> or whatever. I thought we were about to have that killer combo, but Kave say I'm more than happy to revisit, revisit some of his work. Awesome. I can't wait. Mm, I almost had a choice for the Patreon, but I don't. Uh, so you can go to patreon.com slash extended clip. And for $2 a month, you can get the episode we did on Rio 40 degrees Celsius. One of the great 
I, I guess one of the great Brazilian films. I thought it was really great. Yeah. I haven't seen much else to compare it to. By far the best Brazilian film I've seen. Yeah, no, it was really good. Yeah, I fucking loved it. A uh, great episode there, if I do say so myself. That's true. It was. It, I think it was a good episode. Yeah, me and, too. And, I had a great time. And if you want to know what Eddie's going to pick, because I know you're like, it's like, damn, I wish the episode ended with, you know, I had all the answers. It's like, no, you're going to have to go to Patreon to get them. going to have to go to Patreon <laughs> to get them. All right, see ya. Sweet, uncomplicated satisfaction of the younger woman. That fleeting age when everything just falls right into place. It's magic time and it can render any man, anywhere, absolutely helpless. Some say I'm an expert on the younger woman. Guess that's because I've been dating them for over 40 years.